So what do you think, what do you think is the biggest reason people don't accomplish this particular goal of a million dollar net worth? I think it's because, well, it's a lot of reasons, right? But I think one of the main reasons is, uh, I mean, which making money is an action, right? Like I think we all can understand now that making money is, isn't that hard, right? When you, especially when you have the right access to the right information, um, saving and managing money is a behavior, right? So there's a lot of emotion tied to how, what you decide to do with your money once you make it. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up. And then investing money is a skill, right? A lot of people are chasing, you know, the pandemic was a great time for people to get awareness about investments. They were chasing meme stocks, AMC. Everybody was looking for that. How can I come up quick um, investment? And that's not typically how this game goes, right? And so I think that the challenge is people are trying to solve long-term financial issues and behaviors with short-term fixes. And so instead of doing the work of, I need to, I mean, money is fundamental. Spend less than you make, right? But what happens is people go out and they see the next person who's flexing and stunting and they want to do that as soon as they get their money and they don't end up keeping it. Right. So if you don't develop the behavior of a person that wants to build a million dollar net worth, you're always going to be in this rat race of making it, spending it, making it, spending. You can because making a million dollars and keeping a million dollars are two totally different things. Right. And that's the issue. People can make a lot of money, but they have a really hard time keeping it because they have financial behavioral challenges, which, again, is rooted in exploitation. Right. It's like if you get recognized and celebrated when you get the house that you can't really afford and you got too much house or you get the car that you can't really afford, but people will say, oh, that's a blessing, congratulations. But wealth is what you can't see and that's why it's so hard for people. Wealth is an unexercised option. You can't see. Wealth is, right? wealth is what you can't see. You can't see. wear your wealth. Right? And so that's a lot very, of people wearing their money, but they're not wearing their wealth. I don't watch. Yeah, Riches is measured in, in money, wealth is measured in time, right? And most people are so focused on being able to showcase Hey, look, I got this. I got that. So we're going to give them the showcase, some of the showcase. But in this instance, it's a marker of what you're actually keeping and retaining people. That's all. When you just break it down, people want something to hide. They want something to be celebrated about. So if you can give them something to be celebrated about, but it's earmarked for something that's actually going to benefit you and not drain your pockets. I think we can win the game. Mm. Facts. What Mm. is what, what are some habits that you have for your own money that the average person who earns seven figures might not have? I allocate my money based on percentage. So no matter how much money I make, 20% is going towards investments, mm-hmm. period. So if I make uh, 10,000 in a month or 100,000 in a month, that's, that number doesn't gonna change. So I don't have to think about money anymore. Every month is based on the percentage and it's gonna go into the account, it's gonna be invested. So the more money I make, the more money I'm investing in it. I don't really have to think about my, my, about my money that much. Are you following the profit first model? Yeah. Okay, so I'm on the right track there. There you go. Doing that. Now, when you talk about 20% going to investments, what kind of things are you investing in? I invest in stocks and real estate. Okay. And is your money strategy to play the long-term game or short-term, or do you do a, boat, a mix of both? Long-term game because long-term games has tax benefits. So when I buy a property for of a half a million dollars, I'm able to get a write-off for like a hundred, hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in okay. the same year because I'm, I'm, I'm a long-term investing in the property. What do you say though to people that we're trying to educate? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about people who could at this time have yeah. negative net worth, right? Yeah. So they're saying we get it. Now that yeah. you've shown me a vehicle where I could start making an extra two thousand right. dollars a month, you want me to now come out of this negative net worth and take twenty percent? 
like, are we right off the bat uh, investing this 20%, this profit first model? Because my question, the, mm. the second piece to that is mm. that person who says, I am just now getting to a positive net worth. I can't afford to invest 20% for the long-term gain. Yeah. Well, here, here's my take on it, right? Mm. So you, you have hear a lot of people on the internet that will say invest $400 a month for 40 years and you'll have a million dollars at 65, right? So my advice- so, yeah, the, the math is there. Yeah, the math is there. But yeah. my, my, my logic is this, right? I'm kind of a balance of both. Like, I think that if you can only afford to invest $400 a month, your first investment needs to be yourself, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's, that's the, I'm not saying that you shouldn't start where you are and make small investments towards your progress, but I believe in a philosophy, a philosophy called the wealth triangle. And the first thing you have to do is develop a high income skill set where you make you money. You're the first, you're your first asset. Then from there you can turn that you can turn that high income skill set into a scalable business where people or systems make you money, mm -hmm. and then from there then you can invest in high return assets where money makes you money. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you can't do these things concurrently, but I think that to your point, if you're just getting you know to a point where you have a couple extra a couple thousand dollars a month, right, you're better off figuring out how can I get myself to a place where I have more than a couple thousand dollars a month, right, extra and surplus. Because the challenge is people are trying to invest small amounts of money and they're not seeing for them, it's hard for them to see the progress. Cause it's like, well, what is $200 going to do? What is $300 going to do? Now we just told you what it'll do over time, but at the same token, you can condense that journey if you just can increase the lever of how much more money you make. Right. So I think my question then make it plain, mm -hmm. either of you, mm -hmm. at what point, what's my, what's my marker that says now I have enough financial assets or enough cash mm -hmm. to start leveraging the profit first model where now I'm focused on multiplying money, not mm -hmm. just investing back into myself. I don't know if there's a number, right. but I tell people all the time, and shout out to Alex Homozi, like we should invest in the S and P 500, but we should first invest in the S and me 500. Like you should be investing in yourself until you like can make like, until you can make so much money, we have access cash and like your immediate, needs are not even a thing anymore. So if you have $5,000 of expenses, once you start making $15,000, $20,000 a month, you, your expenses are covered and you still got now 75% of the rest of your money to start investing in assets. And you don't, I don't think you ever stop investing in yourself. You just invest more in assets and still in yourself. I still, even though I'm investing in assets, I'm still investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in myself per year. I got, I got a question, I got a question. For somebody, what do, what do we focus on first? Do we focus on Income generation, high income skill set, mm -hmm. or do we focus on patching the holes in our financial boat first? What is the, if somebody's in a bad financial situation, right? where do we focus our energy and attention? Well, one is infinite and one is finite, right? So if you, if you say, you know what, I'm going to decrease my budget to the, the, little, the littlest amount of money I can possibly spend, and you, you could ultimately live on your mom's couch, right, and have, and have a zero, zero uh, expenses, right? But the problem with that is that's a finite exercise. If you can figure out how to make more money, right? I'm sorry, most, I'm sorry, finite exercise, what do you mean? Meaning that it's a, you can only go to zero, right? The lowest, the lowest amount of money you can spend is zero at the end of the day. But the amount of money that you can make is infinite, mm -hmm. right? So I think the problem is people are focused on the wrong thing. Now, to your point, if you have holes in your boat and you have bad financial behavior, more money isn't going to solve that. But what I've realized, most people don't have money management issues, they have poverty management issues, right? Like you're just not making enough, right? So for example, you're not spending too much on food. You just, you only make $50,000 a year or $40,000 a year. I don't think, 
I think that's the issue. I think more more people, once they realize that if I can just get myself to a more comfortable income level, right, then a lot of my problems will be solved. They're not going to solve behavior issues, right. but if you can get to a certain income threshold, right, then a lot of the things that you thought were problems were, weren't really problems. My journey my was reversed, though. You know what I mean? Like my... I made the same amount of money, but I just kept spending it. And that started allocating money, right? Mm -hmm. So actually, as a server, I'm taking tips and it's cash, which is dangerous for anybody mm -hmm. because it's like I just have cash. And right. if I want to buy something, it's, it's, it's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's easier to let go, right? right? So I would come home and I take a certain amount of my tips and I start putting it in these little buckets, mm -hmm. right? And then the rest of it, I can do whatever I want with it. And I kept the same amount of money, but... I had more money uh -huh. to to invest in like this t-shirt brand. So that, that's just my journey of how I started. Right. It wasn't me focusing on how to make more money because if my focus was making more money, then I'd still be in the same. There's people that are, they make millions of dollars, mm -hmm. but they're right. still broke. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of all three though, right? It's like, here's, here's the thing. If you, to your you point- You can't focus on, on both skill sets at the same time. I mean, you kind of have to, right? It's like, I mean- if you just focused on, like you said, patching up the holes, that will be helpful. But then you focus on that. Okay, then I'm gonna jump to try to figure out how to make more money. Okay, then I'm gonna jump to that. And like, you kind of have to work these things concurrently, right? Because here's the, here's the, here's why. If you focus on patching up the holes, right? But you don't make enough, you're not gonna have anything to put into the bucket, right? It's like, okay, I patched up the hole, but I got $10 in the bucket. But making enough... Isn't making enough based on the expenses that you have and how much you're spending? Yeah, and in theory, depending upon where you are in life, there's some changes everybody can make, undoubtedly, right? Everybody can make, but there's some things you just can't, you can't cut, right? It just, it just is what it is, right? So I think it's important to identify and have awareness on where those challenges are and what you can adjust, but I never think you should lose sight of your income earning potential because that, for example, someone can look at their credit card it's so important that black voices are represented in black media for so many different reasons. And the next generation of black uh, voices and influencers from black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collections, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. And every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smyrta to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. I listen and I'm enjoying these conversations that are for us, by us. Black representation, again, it hasn't always been uh, shared from our perspective. And black perspectives haven't been censored in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR. Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts. 
All right, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you can keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headache, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. It just makes sense. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit from NetSuite? I know you see it. Listen to me. If you have everything scattered in business, you cannot grow. And everything is more expensive when you have more and more processes layered on top of each other, more and more softwares. You got to get out of that. And it, it will improve efficiency and cut costs. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash social proof. That's NetSuite.com slash social proof. NetSuite.com slash social proof. Right now, and they might have $10,000 in debt, right? You and I know we can pay that, you know, pay that bill right now, right? So if you can focus on Number one, understanding why you got into debt in the first place. You never want to lose sight of that. But at the same token, make sure that you're prioritizing being able to earn more income. I think they all just kind of work together because if you make a lot of money, have bad financial behavior, you're going to lose it. If you don't make enough money, um, but you have great financial behavior, you have nothing to manage, right? And if you don't figure out how to grow and invest the money, then all you're doing is stockpiling and saving money. It's going to take you a really, really long time to have enough cash to live off your live off your money if your money's not working for you. So that's why they have to all work work together. How was what was your journey like in terms of did you figure out how to keep your money or make more money or did you do them sim simultaneously? Simultaneously. So, you know, you guys have seen, you've, you've heard my story. You know that I went through a period where I was making, I don't know, maybe a quarter million dollars or so a year back in 2008, 2010. And I lost everything during that recession. And I sat and realized that while I was making what was a lot of money for me at that time, my expenses exceeded what I brought in, left with nothing. So I knew that something had to change and I started to read books and educate myself. And honestly, um, when I started making a lot of money again, I still thought that the name of the game was to save money, right? But it becomes really, really difficult mm -hmm. to just save money. Mm -hmm. You don't see, it, it becomes difficult to increase your net worth just saving money. Right. And these were just things that I noticed, like mm -hmm. how are you guys buying all of these assets and buying these things, where are you getting this money to invest if all I'm doing is saving, 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 but I'm also spending a little bit too. And I started to just get in different rooms and different circles. I didn't really know what to do with my money until I made seven figures. Like I didn't start taking that part seriously because I never felt like I had enough before then to do anything with. Mm -hmm. And so when I became a seven figure earner and we've got surplus, then I started asking questions about what I needed to do with my money. And if I'm being totally transparent at the time, so 
up until about 2018, I was, you know, regularly doing about half a million dollars a year, right? Um, 2019-ish and high and beyond, it started to increase. And at that time, I was dating someone who's in the financial space that said, this is what you need to do with your money. If it weren't for that, honestly, I don't know where I would be on the journey, but it was just somebody closely connected that said, this is how mm -hmm. you need to manage your money, right? And then just watching habits, like listening to these guys and what you guys teach, I'm still learning about what I should do with my money. I still spend my money very, I still, I, I still manage my money with fear attached, honestly. Right now, especially in the black community, entrepreneurship is hot. A lot of people making a lot of money, but the problem is they don't know how to manage it or how to uh, lower their tax bill. They would be surprised come April with all this money they made. And my goal is to not let that happen. Mm. Okay. First of all, is that your real name? Carter, yeah. Not Carter Cofield? Yeah. That's a cool name. Sounds like stage name-ish. Uh, no, nah, it's my real name, it's bro. It's real joint? That's yeah. all right. All right, so... I just want to put that out there. All right, so... So... Um, this lady... Uh, I think she's, she's for sure the wrong person to be talking to after she told me this news. And, you know, she's like going through my numbers and stuff like that. And she said... Yeah, you're gonna. You're probably gonna have to pay about thirty five percent in taxes. I said of that number. <laughs> when I'm not doing that, and then I started thinking to myself, I'm like, yo, we all default to. Well, Donald Trump don't pay no taxes. Right, How you do right. that? <laughs> so that's where that's where my mind went. Sure. So how? First off, why explain taxes and why it's set up like that, and why some people don't have to pay it. Okay, I got you. Got it. So I guys, actually like four questions. No, I mean I'm, I'm gonna break it all the way down. Explain taxes first. I got you. So. So here's the thing. Most people don't know the tax code is nothing to be scared of. All this tax code is is an incentive system for you to do what the government wants you to do. I like to call it an incentivized game. And like any game, you have to do two things. One, number one, you need to be on the right team, right? So taxes are made to benefit entrepreneurs and investors. So if you're a W-2 earner, you're on the wrong team because you're going to pay the most taxes. Taxes are made for... To benefit entrepreneurs and investors because we're making jobs, we're stimulating the economy, and we're doing what the, what the government wants us to do. So they give us massive tax breaks, which we're going to talk about later. But the second piece about it is you have to know the rules. And one of my favorite rules is for people to understand what I call like the, the golden tax formula. Very simple. Well, you're a W-2 earner, right? You get paid, right? You, you had a job before, mm -hmm. okay? They took taxes out before you even said anything. Correct. They gave you what's left, right? Right. As a business owner, you get paid, you spend money, reinvest into your business, you pay taxes on what's left, right? So it switches the equation. So now you control the taxes that you pay by how much money you reinvest and spend into your business. Mm -hmm. So you're actually in control of what you can do. So um, I like to educate people on first taking control of your tax situation and then use the strategies I'm going to talk about to minimize your taxes. Gotcha. Very first thing we need to do as entrepreneurs that Oof. like make money because this is this is a good last yeah. couple of years. Yeah, no, so I mean, I, I, the show's doing great. Yeah. So, okay, not my situation, mm -hmm. but just in general, a lot of people have made a lot of money mm -hmm. in this, I guess, I don't know, it's not, it's not down economy, it's in this pandemic yeah. time, right? What are you most afraid of for our people? I'm most afraid of our people um, spending all of the money that they make and then not saving up for a massive tax bill that could put them in jail, right? So for me, it's just like, the number one mistake entrepreneurs make is not understanding the tax deductions that we're that we are allowed to have. Do you know it's over 300 tax deductions that each of us can have? There's no excuse for you to be paying 
overpaying taxes. And here's what I say. We all need to pay what we legally owe, but let's not leave a tip, right? A lot of us are leaving. <laughs> I'm serious, right? Like a lot of us are leaving 10, 20, 30, $40,000 tips to the IRS, but we only tip our wages, right? So um, my goal is to teach you all um, some of my favorite strategies on how to lower that amount. So to answer your question, like it's just about knowledge, you know, like uh, what's that? how's it go? Conversation change compensation. So mm. I hope this conversation changes how much taxes you're going to owe in, in a couple months. Absolutely. Okay. So I bought, I, for now I'm just like racking my brain on, okay, how much can I not, because I don't, I don't think I quite understand mm-hmm. a write-off. Okay. Right? Can I explain it? Please. Okay, for sure. So guys, a write-off is anything that is ordinary or, and, and or necessary to operate your business, right? So any, any money that you spend that is attributed to your business, and the dope part about that is a lot of your personal expenses become business expenses once you start a business. So for your cell phone, right? You use your cell phone in your business. Yes. That's a business, that's a tax write-off. That's a business sure. deduction. You take that amount of your cell phone, subtract it by your income, right? Your what about my drip? I, I'm going to teach you how to write drip off clothes. I'm going to teach you how to write off clothes. Okay. I got four strategies I want to teach your audience. That's going to change your life. Okay. Okay. But before that, understanding a write-off is very simple. It's just any expense that's ordinary and necessary for you to operate your business. And when you think about it, you're like, yo, I need my car to like get to business meetings. I need my internet. I need to use my computer. Like um, all these uh, Apple watches, you can check your email on the Apple watch. You can write that off too. So just understanding like, yo, before I spend any money, I ask myself the question, is there a right? I can write this off of my taxes. And 90% of the time it is. It's a way. Really? Mm-hmm. See, somebody was telling me it's not, you can't do all, for one, a blanket statement. Mm-hmm. No, you can't write, write off clothes. They're, they're lazy. You said, what's the question? I'm going to say the name. Okay, okay. <laughs> most, most, most accountants and CPAs are lazy. All they want to do is just do your taxes and get you out the door, Right. I'm a tax planner, right? And if you, if you take care of business during tax planning season, you don't have to worry about things during tax paying season, right? So the goal is to get somebody that's going to help you understand and strategize on like, instead of saying no, but like, how can we make this happen? Mm. You know? Okay. So do you want me to teach you how to write off clothes? Come on. Since we're on it? Let's do it. So this is Melanie Millionaire drip, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you like it? Strippy. <laughs> Strippy. So basically the IRS used to say you cannot write off clothes because unless it's a costume, you can't write it off. But... If you get your logo visibly stitched on your clothing, you're now a walking advertisement for your business. That can bring more business back, back home. So if you get your logo visibly stitched, what the IRS says, you can write off the cost of the clothes, the stitching cost, and every time you take it to the cleaners. Mm. Right? If I get a Louis Vuitton hoodie. Here we go. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Every time. Let's just say. Every time. Every time. And I take it to my embroidery and I get the, the logo. My... Social proof logo right here. Uh huh. So here's what I say. Here's what I say. Ordinary and necessary. I don't think there's nothing ordinary about Louis Vuitton, right? Um, so I don't recommend people try to get their name put on luxury items. But like you know, like a Nike jumpsuit, Nike tracksuit, a bla- a nice blazer. You know what I'm saying? You can get your logo put on that. But I wouldn't go luxury. Um, you might get away with it, but like I don't want you to try that one. Okay. Here's the thing. Okay, let's talk about. I got it. this watch, right? Uh huh. And I don't. I want to write it off, right? What if I did a podcast episode on watches and I got the watch so that I can be in the conversation of the podcast episode? If Rolex was a sponsor, then yeah, because now it's, it's, it, that is actually bringing revenue into your business. You can track If it. Rolex is a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Because you're now wearing that in promotion of a business activity that can bring in more business to your, to your podcast. 
Mm. You know, so it's all about creativity. Right. You know, it's about thinking of how being can, legal and being legal, right? It's about how can I make this a tax deductible expense based on is it bringing revenue to my business or not? Gotcha. How do we start to improve our relationship with money? I was thinking about it as you were talking. And I think the number one thing we need to do is to organize our relationship with money. So if we have, imagine walking into your bedroom and someone takes $100 and just throws all ones and throws it in the air. You got some of this 100 under your bed. Some are between the sheets. Some are in the drawers. Some are in your closet. Some are under the toilet. It's $100, right? And as you walk into your house, you see, oh, let me pick up some money. But if it's everywhere, if like you go to the bathroom, you see, oh, we got some more. It becomes frustrating because it's not organized. You don't know what to do. You don't know how much you have. It's just all over the place. And I think some people get frustrated because I owe this uh, furniture company over here. I got this debt over here. I got this student loan. I make some money from my job. I like I. It's all spread. I don't know how much I make every month. I don't know how much I spend every month. I don't know. It just seems like I'm short. But if you take all those hundred and put it in like a pile on your desk, you could see it. You could say, okay, well I got a hundred. Now I know what to do with it. But if it's all if if your whole world is unorganized when it comes to money. And you just can't figure out how every time you get a check, a couple days later, you don't have any money. And it's always short in the month. And then we got to start using credit cards and that starts to build up. It's so much pressure. You say, yo, I, it ain't all about the money. I'm so frustrated with this stuff. that's mm -hmm. all over my life. I can't deal with it right now. So I think the first thing, and this is where I got clarity was making a list of how much do I need to survive? Mm -hmm. And then at the Cheesecake Factory, we come over with tips and I just have cash, right? So I just have it everywhere. And then I started making a little journal of writing down how much did I make today? How much did I make, you know, like the next day? Then I've got these three little envelopes. One is for my bills, one is for my tithe, one is for my savings. And I started organizing my money. For some reason, it felt like, and nothing changed. It wasn't like I started making more but it just seems like I had more because I can pinpoint where my stuff was. I had all of my credit cards in a line on a board, how much I owed, how much was the minimum, what was the date? And then I started taking some of the money, paying off each credit card, then I was able to strike one out and that joint felt good. Mm -hmm. If you have five debts and over a period of time, you like get one to zero and you strike it off, one of the best feelings I've ever had around money and that's like paying off something. And then I'm like, oh, if I did it once, I could do it again. And then eventually I don't have a credit card balance. But it started with me just organizing my money. So create a plan for your money. Yes. A, and that is what is the purpose in which you need money? What is the plan that you have to use your money? What do you want to do with your money? What do, what do you want your money to mean to you? Right. So if I'm creating a plan for my money and I know that I want to uh, invest in my first home, I want to purchase my first home or I want to put money aside for my child's school uh, tuition or whatever that thing is, I want to retire, uh, have, create a retirement account, create a plan for your money so that we can have a goal set. Right. And this is kind of going hand in hand when you're creating a plan for your money, you're creating really minute, small little goals that you have for your money 
and what you plan to do with your money long term. And then we can break those things down into shorter term goals. So now when you're creating this plan for your money, you're essentially telling your money where to go. So now that you've gotten your money organized and you have a plan for your goal, you can say things like um, I used to use uh, back in the day before we got super digital. I used to use envelopes and I think mm-hmm. I had like seven different envelopes for uh organizing my money Mm -hmm. because I had a plan. So I had the grocery envelope. I had the household bill envelope. I had the gas money envelope. I had the fun envelope. You know, I had the Deja envelope, like what we do on our mother daughter dates. And so maybe you need to go back to those envelopes mentally in your head, whether it's different accounts or whatever the case may be. And you literally planning where each money is going. So you're getting money on a consistent basis, whether that's biweekly, monthly, daily, whatever that looks like, what percentage of that money is going toward these things? Well, first, like David said, you have to understand what your expenses are. So now that we understand how much it costs to live our lives and get by, which I think is a step all on its own, how much does it cost to live your life? Figure that out. Now you're creating these envelopes, whatever that looks like, and you're allocating money toward those envelopes you've have you have a plan and in one of those envelopes should definitely be uh the extra plan the extra not curricular but the extra plan like the purchase of the home the purchase of replace a bad car um saving for retirement and you're putting money in it now when you're planning that once you get x amount of dollars what do you do with that money next? So if you're saving for a home and you need $20,000, but in this envelope, you've got $5,000 saved, what are you doing with that money to make sure you're not spending it? Does that $5,000 go into uh, an account that's online that's difficult for you to access? Are you giving that $5,000 to an accountability partner to hold for you until you have a total sum of the 20? Because surely we're not collecting $20,000 in an envelope, right? We're improving our money, our relationship with money, which means most of us shouldn't be in possession of that much cash, available to us right now. So it's very important that we're planning our money, what we want to do with it, and the steps that we're going to plan for along the journey. Um, also include an emergency fund in that. I was, I was going to say too, even to your, your earlier point, where you said uh, pretty much if you don't have any money, the objective is to have the money invest in something that makes you more money. Right. But also we were talking about like a high income skill set. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm like, I'm so pro let's figure out money because it's a, it's a language. Somebody that mm-hmm. makes $40,000 a year may be able to save 10,000. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year might be spending 110,000. Facts. Right. So I can, I can go make some more money, but if I don't understand like the P and L or mm-hmm. the fact that a t-shirt sells for $30, but it cost me 10 mm-hmm. and I'm spending money as if I made 30 and I right. didn't make that. Right. Mm, that's so if we have, let's say you can make $40,000 a year and mm-hmm. you can decrease it. I know it's a finite thing. You can only go down, but so much, mm-hmm. but you can take that money. And this is my question. Do you advise people to take the money or figure out how to have more money based on their current income mm-hmm. and invest it into something that makes them more money or, do we invest that money into ourselves to later make some money mm-hmm. or do we invest the money into something that makes money? 
Right. I think I understand your question. But so three things, three things just for everybody that's listening. I think right. there's three things you can do with your money. And this is as I was working at the Cheesecake Factory, yep. I started to understand this. Mm -hmm. I can figure out how to save more of the money that I have. Right. And then take that money and invest it into mm -hmm. a stock, invest it into, I don't know, some sort of investment that makes me more money. Right. Crypto, whatever. Or I can take that extra money from me understanding how to have more money mm -hmm. and I invest it in my education. Mm-hmm. Let me learn. Let me go to school or take a class on becoming a videographer. Let me right. take a class on on learning how to do a thing, mm -hmm. have a skill set. But eventually, I won't have any money to do the thing. It just takes a little while. It's a longer game, right? Right. Or do we take, after we understand how to have more money, we take the money and invest it in a camera. We invest it in a, a Turo car, we invest right. it in the thing right. and then have the education process then. I think there's three lanes we can Yeah, have no, in. okay, I, I get what you're saying. I would, if I had to pick an order, I would invest in the skill, the education first. Mm -hmm. Because if you buy the the item, the buy the car, if you buy the camera, if Carter didn't have the connection to to make the rent the Lambo out, then he's just sitting on the Lambo with a few, you know, a two, three thousand dollar, you know, car payment, right? So investing in the education of how to do the thing before buying the thing is definitely more important, right? And personally, my personal opinion, right? There are gonna be some other people that would advise you to invest your $50 a month because of compound interest. My personal opinion is that if you invest in yourself first, you are gonna have a far better chance of getting to the goal faster. Of course, once you understand the language of money and make sure you're not overspending, then you would trying to incrementally get there with $50, $100 a month, right? Here's why. If you invest $100,000 in the stock market, right, and the S&P 500, on average, it's going to pay you about 10%, which is Explain what? Explain the S&P 500. Right. It's, a, it's a basically a basket of the 500 top domestic companies, mm -hmm. right? What's up, podcaster or soon-to-be podcaster? Get ready to level up your podcast game because the number one podcast education summit of the year is back, and it's bigger and better than ever. I'm talking about the second annual podcast summit happening on July 4th and 5th in the content creation capital of the world. You already know, ATL, baby. Atlanta, Georgia, going down July 4th and 5th, two full days. Imagine this. Imagine you getting all the game you need to take your voice, your brand, your your business to the next level. Imagine getting all the insider tips. Imagine getting all the know-how that you've been craving for the last two, three, four years where you're talking about you're going to start a podcast, but you haven't yet because you don't have the tools, you don't have the tips, you don't have the tricks. I don't care if you're just starting or you're a seasoned pro. This summit has something for everyone. Picture you mastering the basics of setting up your podcast or unlocking the secrets to grow your brand on social media. We're not just talking about podcasting here. I'm talking about you want to build a long form catalog, whether it's skits, movies. We got people talking about script writing. This is an incredible experience. Imagine, imagine discovering the art of securing these lucrative sponsorship deals. And that's not all. Learn the ropes of creating a pitch deck that has sponsors knocking down your door. Oh, wait, 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 wait. There's more. This isn't just a summit. This is an experience. I'm telling you. Rub shoulders with industry leaders. And you got to network with the other people that are doing what you're doing. All the guests that have ever been on Social Proof Podcast, I'm giving them a free ticket. And in exchange, they promise me that they're going to sit down and do short interviews with you. We got podcast booths for our VIP members where you can sit down, pull somebody to a side, and you're going to create content in real time. I know what you're thinking. 
How do I get a part of this podcasting paradise? Well, it's simple. All you have to do is head over to podcastsummit.com, grab your tickets now, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I have something really, really special for you. I got a little treat for my early birds, people who take action. The next 20 listeners and only 20 listeners who get your tickets right now, okay? I'm not only going to give you 20% off of whatever ticket level you get, you get 20% off, but if you use the promo code BIGDEAL, It'll take 20% off immediately, but I'm also going to allow the first 20 people t- listening to this right now to be able to bring a friend, bring a teammate, bring a partner for absolutely free. You get general admission, they get general admission. You get VIP, they get VIP. Whatever ticket level you purchase, you get to bring a friend, partner, colleague, boo thing for absolutely free. Nothing extra required. My team's going to reach out to you, get your partner's name, or if you don't have the person you no right now yet you got time no pressure you get us back but use that code big deal that triggers to let us know you get to bring someone for free so don't wait so secure your spot at the number one podcast education summit in the country join us july 4th and 5th in atlanta let's turn your podcast dreams into a reality y'all head over to podcastsummit.com use promo code big deal at checkout and get your tickets now don't miss out on the opportunity to take your podcast to new heights take your brand to new heights take your business to new heights with this unprecedented offer okay i'll see you at the summit and don't forget to use promo code big deal and so on average it's going to pay you about 10 percent, right so that's what ten thousand dollars if you've invested a hundred thousand do you think it's more probable that a person just starting out is going to be able to get to $100,000 invested to earn that $10,000 in passive income or that they're going to learn a skill that can make them $10,000 a month? Which one do you think will be faster for the average person? Uh, for sure, earning $10,000. I mean, learning, learning how to make $10,000 a month, for sure. Exactly. So because of that, then once you learn that skill, right, you have that skill for forever in perpetuity. And because you've learned the language of money, you can then take the surplus and then invest. Because the truth be told, when people tell you to invest in a stock market and you can make $10,000 a year, you're not actually making $10,000 a year. More realistically, that money is compounding and you're not even seeing that money back because you're trying to build wealth. Mm. So why would you invest in something that you're not gonna really be able to benefit from for the next 30, 40 years when you still haven't figured out your day-to-day life, mm. right? It's Maslow's hierarchy of deeds at that point, yeah. right? You, you, you stressed out, you trying to figure out how to pay your rent. The first thing you're gonna do is go liquidate them stocks, probably at the wrong time when the market's down and now you're, now you're down bad twice. Yeah. And you got short-term capital gains. Mm. You follow what I'm saying? So like, that's my thought process. Now it's much easier to sell a course and it's much palatable, much more palatable to say, investor, anybody can invest and anybody can do it and invest $200 a month versus saying, no, actually focus on this first and then let's get to investing later once you have, I have I mastered a high income skill set. Carter? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I completely agree because in your example, you can make $10,000 a year or you can learn how to make $10,000 a month, right? right. Now you got $120,000 uh, to actually, you know, you make $20,000 more per year. And like, thing about information is that once you get it, nobody can ever take it away from you. Right. So even if the stock market is going bad or doing they're doing bad, now you have the, the skill set to go make more money and invest while things are bad. You want to be able to still make money in bad times because when this economy is down like now, everything's on sale. Right. Mm-hmm. But guess what? If you don't got no money, you can't take advantage of the sale. Mm-hmm. So you need to find ways to continue making money. So when things go on sale, you're like, bet. I'm about to buy this. I'm about to buy that. I'm about to buy that property. I'm about to buy that stock. So I'm just big on income generation, income preservation, and then, and then maximizing the money. George said, uh, the number one way that kills 
people's wealth is food. Mm. If you think about how much you spend on food, mm. bro, I, so I was looking at my, and this is like one account. So I have, I have, I have a couple of business accounts that got personal or whatever, but my business expenses, which I guess I'm not super mad because you you need to write it off, but it's still a nasty number. It was like $43,000 I spent in 11 months on meals and entertainment. And that's all meals because I don't do entertainment like yeah. that. <laughs> so that's, that's why you say in December you're not you're not going to more re- no more no, restaurants. No, I'm not. No, that's why I made that announcement, bro. Mm. I'm not. Mm. I, if we go out because I'll, I'll just like if we all went out to eat. Got my people's. We just did the podcast. I'm gonna pay for it. Yeah. All right. Me and Reese go hang out. Me me and the team. I just I just pay for it. It's just what I do. Not this month, bro. That joint was crazy. <laughs> but think about this: if you had forty thousand dollars. Right, and I gave you a challenge. How much could you turn forty thousand to in six mm. months or a year? A lot, yeah. How much? Give me a number. Just if you had forty thousand that you had to flip a bunch of times for the year, how much would you turn into? At least at least two hundred fifty thousand. At least a quarter. I was gonna say about two ten. Yeah, bro. I think about seven times. I ate two hundred fifty thousand dollars. How you looking at it? Wow! I just ate it, bro. Yeah. Oh wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. It's like I put a quarter million dollars on the table, got a knife and some butter and some yeah. ranch dressing, and just started eating my. <laughs> it's crazy. Forty forty thousand dollars, bro. I just I just I could I could have made another two fifty. The question is, that two fifty, what would I do with that next year? Mm. I ate millions. That's good. So, That's good. Thank you. I, I I hate that I had to learn the lesson to be <laughs> to have this understanding, but um yeah so food bro stop eating out so much stop going on dates try to get them to come to the crib and cook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be trying to get married, bro. You telling me not to go on dates, man? That's crazy. Those were my single moves back in the day. Okay, we're just gonna come through and cook. Uh, so that would be my how to keep your money and not even just food, just frivolous spending. Yeah. And I know Carter, you like to have a drink every now and again. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yo, but Carter true. said, "Yo, when we go out, I'm getting a drink." He said, "Everywhere <laughs> I go, I'm gonna get a drink." But some people just they don't have the financial maturity to not you make the money so you do what you want right but there's some people you too broke to drink mm. you too broke to be smoking so much that's you. crazy but you gotta steal your own money you have to like steal your own money so that you don't see it i i believe for most of us we're gonna spend what we have right so when you look at your bank account that's the amount that you have to work with am i right well, for a for a few years, I'm waiting for this thing to send me this uh, email. For a few years, I've been slowly stealing my own money. Meaning, I set up a uh, mm-hmm. an Acorn account. So, and I'll put a link here too. Um, here it goes. I've set up an Acorn account where there's a certain amount of my money. Like, and I think that this is the way it's set up. I'm, I'm actually gonna uh, log in right now. But there's a well. Let's say on my bank account. I send $5 a day from uh, one account to a savings account, mm-hmm. $5 a day. And I've been doing it for years. I also have a setup where whatever amount of money is deposited into my account, a percentage of that goes to a savings account. It's 10%. I have a setup that way. 
So if I get a direct deposit of, like I pay myself and I pay myself $3,000, 300 goes to the savings account. What's interesting is I forget it. And I just think, oh, wow, I've got $3,700. The 37 is what I work with. I also have this, um, I have a certain amount of money, like weekly that goes to Acorn. And I realize it's these little, it's these little amounts of money that I start stealing from myself because I don't see it and I don't have it and I just work with what I, ha what I have. And you start to find out that you have so much money in savings because you started slowly taking money out of the, the amount that you see and you naturally just don't spend as much. Good, good. Yo, this is, this is like some life-changing stuff, man. And uh, I am, I'm not a financial expert. I don't necessarily consider even this podcast a financial literacy podcast. They try to jump us into the, put us in the bucket of financial literacy, and it's not. We teach entrepreneurship, but uh, this, these are some things like a lot of stuff I was learning at the Cheesecake Factory, and this has started to improve my relationship with money. Um, and one of the things I live by, and this concept changed my life, and it was raise your zero. This concept absolutely changed my life. Uh, someone asked me one day, they said, you know, when, what does it mean when you're broke? I said, well, I don't have anything. And he said, well, that's your zero. Your zero is nothing. Your zero is zero. When you don't have anything, you're broke, right? Right, yes. But he said, your zero should be $1,000. He said, you should save $1,000 to where you start getting down to your last thousand. You say, I am what? Broke. Broke. I ain't got it. Somebody asks for money and all you have is $1,000. You're like, oh, I ain't got it. But if your zero is zero, when someone asks for something and you have $1,000, you got it. You can help out. Imagine if you had $100,000 in your bank account right now. How would you feel? Amazing, right? Relieved. But there are some people, they get nervous. They really get nervous. You wonder, why would a person who has $100 million in the stock market and the stock crashes and they're down to a couple million and they blow their brains out or jump off a bridge when you've got $2 million left? In their mind, zero isn't zero. In their mind, 10 million was zero. Now I have nothing. So if you start raising your zero, the numbers become smaller. Meaning if someone's asking you to invest in a thousand dollar course, right now a thousand dollars, just the number might be a lot to you. But if a thousand is your zero and you got more than that, you're willing to put up a thousand because that's not that much money but you have to raise your zero. So I want y'all to write down and just write it to yourself. What is, what is going to be your new zero? I remember, I, I, if it wasn't tax time or uh, really just tax time, like refunds, having $1,000 was such a luxury. And if I got that thousand, I'm like, woo, it's up, let's go out. And why would I say that? Because zero is my zero and I got a thousand. It's all the way up. Mm. Hey, y'all, I ain't gonna lie, man. They sent me this Yuffie lock. Think about being on the couch. Someone rings the doorbell. Your child left their key at school. 
and they need you to get off the couch to open the door. Well, you don't have to do it anymore with this Eufy lock. You can open, unlock, see who's at the door all on your phone. It's super easy to install. You can set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It's keyless entry. So it's no more fumbling for your keys when your hands are full coming from the grocery store. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. Listen, you put your fingerprint on there, you don't have, even if you got you got your bags, you put one finger out there, boop, you get to unlock your door that way. No battery anxiety. You don't have to worry about the battery dying. Quick charging, it's incredible. Also, passcode unlocking and remote control with a 2K clear sight camera so you can see who's at the front door. You're in control anywhere from the app. Enhanced night vision. It's absolutely incredible. No monthly fee either. So unlike other brands that charge a monthly fee, you have you have uh, recordings locally, and you don't have to pay for the storage. Customer support is on 10. Listen, Eufy is on standby for you 24-7, so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by our professional customer service team. Listen, you can contact them anytime, telephone, email, or live chat. Okay, listen, you need this Eufy lock. You need to look it up. All you have to do is go to the official website, Eufy, E-U-F-Y.com. I just ordered mine, okay? I love this product. It is incredible. It's a game changer. It makes life so much easier, right? So if you have a video doorbell already or any smart lock, it's, it's, it's time to replace it. It's time to replace it. So listen, search Eufy. E-U-F-Y, video lock. Search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y, video lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Okay? You can get a complete control of your front door, your life, back door. Incredible. Okay? So search Eufy, E-U-F-Y, video lock, or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. But once I started getting to that, my first zero was 500. And I'm like, yo, I got to get to 500. And once I get this 500, I'm not going below that. And then it was 1,000. Then it was 10,000. And, like, it just it just continues to go up. So now, like, I have, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good, but your zero, my zero now, it's an incredible number where I start getting nervous. And I'm like, yo, I, I need to go get some money. And I listen, if I ever, y'all listen, if I ever come into this office and I'm like, yo, we really got to run this bag up, 
I'm at zero. <laughs> but my zero isn't your zero. You understand? So we got to raise that zero. Mm -hmm. Have you, do you know what an S-corp is? Yeah. Okay. Explain that. Okay. First off. Got you. So guys, Please. this is very, this is very important. This is probably going to save you a hundred grand off the, off the rip. So if you have an LLC, right? A basic LLC, all money that comes through your LLC, you have to pay three types of taxes on. You got to pay federal, which is about 25% on average, state, 5% on average. But self-employment, the FICA tax, like the Social Security, that's 15.3%. So you add all that up, that's 45.3%. So if you make 100 grand, you got to get $45,300 away to the IRS, right? If you have an LLC. If you have an S corporation, you can't do nothing about federal and state, but you can save on FICA because here's how it works. If you have the same 100K, you only pay FICA on the salary you pay yourself when you have an S corporation. So if Say it you, one more time. You only pay FICA taxes, right, on the salary that you pay yourself from your okay. S-Corp, right? So if you have that same 100 grand and you paid yourself a salary of, of 30,000, you only have to pay that 15% on that 30,000 instead of the whole 100. So now $70,000 is avoiding FICA taxes. See, here's the thing. I'm getting different things from different CPAs. Okay. Some CPAs say, like I was, I was talking to my man Jay and he said he does all LLCs. Okay. And there's some way he does it and it saves taxes or something like that. Then somebody else says you need to, okay, you can have all these LLCs, but you file elect S-Corp or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, so here's, here's a basic understanding. If you have an LLC and, you, and your net income is $50,000 or less, an LLC is perfect for you. 50K or less net profit. Mm. Make sense? Anything over that, you need an S-Corporation because it's going to help you save tremendously on self-employment taxes. Am I, okay, Am I filing it as an S-Corp? But I have like a bunch of LLCs, mm -hmm. right? But are you saying I have these bunch of LLC, LLCs and I'm filing all of these LLCs as an S-Corp or all of these LLCs should be all S-Corps? Because so I got you, different businesses. Yeah, you know, it's an easy strategy to do. This is game right here. If you have one S-Corp, right? And, and it owns all your LLCs, all of your money comes into that one, that one business and then you have to do payroll one time. Right, for, for, you do payroll one time for thirty percent. That's a good number of, of all the money your business made. The under other seventy percent avoids FICA taxes. It's confusing. I, now I'm, I'm processing. Okay, okay, um, but you still got to do returns for each LLC, though. Yes. Yeah, but it's 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 a lot easier on paying yourself. So I can give you a better example because I don't want to confuse you. Please. Okay, so you heard about the whole G wagon car write off thing, right? It's over 4,000 pounds. 6,000 pounds. 6,000 So here's pounds. the thing. I just bought a new Mercedes-Benz AMG, right? The car was 120 grand. Because the car is over 6,000 pounds, the IRS will let you write off 100% of, of the value of the vehicle, even if you don't put, even if you don't pay for the whole thing in cash. So you can go to the dealership, finance this car with $10,000, right? You get the car, you get $120,000 write-off the year that you get the car. So now it's lowering your taxable income by 120K. Hold on. Let's say I get a $120,000 vehicle uh -huh. this year. This year. But I didn't pay a whole 120 something thousand. I paid 10,000. Mm -hmm. But I made a million dollars, let's say. Yep. Or half a million dollars. Let's use a half a million dollars. Let's use 200,000. Okay. 200, you made $200,000. <laughs> I can write off $120,000 of this $200,000 and only have to pay 
the $80,000 and I'll pay tax on the $80,000. Exactly. Are you sure? I'm positive. This is what I get paid to do. And then that's just one strategy, but that's- I'm that's, about to buy a truck. I mean, why not? So I just buy, so I tell people, <laughs> no, so, so, so here's what no. I, I tell people this all the time. Do you know there's two tax seasons? Most people think it's one, right? There's tax paying season, then there's tax saving season, right? Tax paying season is January through April. After the, the past year closes out, there's nothing much we can do. We can't go back in time. But that, this last quarter of the year, you need to be doing tax planning so buying cars, doing the, all these things so you can lower your income by December 31st, I can get that thing down to zero. That was just one strategy. <laughs> this is good. This is good. So let's say somebody that is a new business owner. Gotcha. Fresh entrepreneur. Anybody got, like, you got one business right now. You're trying to figure that thing out. Anybody here? You got one LLC, right? Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for young Trey on he's, he's making money, mm -hmm. Some of it's cash. Some of it's cash app, I'm sure. Probably. So you take cash app for designs? <laughs> I know. I know. You take cash app for designs, cash, right. just send me some bread, sell me. Right, right, right. What does he need to do? So I think the first thing you need to do is have a business bank account, right? And have all your money funneled funnel in. You have a business bank account? No, not yet. You're okay. going to jail. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to jail. Everybody should have a business bank account because that allows all your expenses to come into one account. And I, I usually recommend people have three because you need one for your income, one to set aside money for taxes, and then one for your expenses. Oh. Right, this is how you stay organized or it's beauty and organization. So, so hold on. Whoa, 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 don't speed past that. Okay. So we need to have three business bank accounts for the one company. Mm -hmm. One where the money comes in. Yep. So... If I have a Shopify store or whatever, all the money goes into this account. Shopify, PayPal, Cash App, all that money comes into that one account. And then how do you know what to transfer to these other two accounts? Good. good. So the, my, my rule of thumb is you should be, th you should be transferring 30% into your tax account. This is you're just saving for taxes, right? If you had a good CPA, you're going to need to use all the money, but I'd rather you at least have it set aside, right? And then... Um, <laughs> sorry, I'd rather bro, you have it set aside. That 30% and then expenses, you can transfer money based on um, whatever your expenses are. But here's the dope part about it. When you go apply for loans in your business name or like, you know, a car in your business name, they ask for six months of business bank statements. So you're, you're going to give them the six months of bank statements from your income account because your income account is going to show all this money coming in and then like only two transfers coming out. So you're gonna look like a you're gonna look like a super responsible business owner because you don't have all these miscellaneous transactions mm -hmm. coming out your business account at the same time. So there you got. I think it's gonna increase your likelihood of getting approved by like fifty percent mm. because you have all this money coming in, two transactions coming out. I like that. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. So thirty percent of your income go to taxes, mm -hmm. and I guess you calculate how much your expenses are. Right. Your exactly. Exactly. Transfer it over. And then that helps you with organization and, and tax savings. That is really smart. Where'd you come up with that? Profit First, book by Mike Michalowicz. Book by Mike? Mike Michalowicz. It's called Profit First. It's really good? It's a really good book. I, I think every entrepreneur should read. That should be like the first three books. Like four-hour work week, Profit First, and um, maybe like Rich Dad, Poor Dad to get you out the right race mindset. If you have a problem with money, which I no longer have a problem with money, but if you have a problem with money, seriously remove the apps from your phone. Get rid of DoorDash. Get rid of Uber Eats. Get rid of Amazon. Why? Because this little device right here 
makes poverty too accessible. Mm. That's a bar. That's a bar. That's good. This advice makes poverty too accessible. You're on here and you are scrolling social media. You're scrolling social media and you're being enticed by other people's habits what they possess, their possessions, their lifestyle. What do you want to do? You want to go buy it. In the meantime, you're getting, uh, uh, what is it? You're, you're losing focus on ads. You get these ads and you're like, oh, let me go buy it. Now on social media, you can just shop right through the app. This device will control your money habits and control how much money you have to do other things. Now, if you say, you know what? I am only going to access my Amazon and shop from my desktop. I'm only going to order Uber Eats from my desktop. These things are no longer on my phone. For many of us, when you're out and about and you're thinking about making this decision on the whim, you don't have access to your laptop. Some of you are too lazy to open your laptop. Like there's a, there's a, there's some filter between you. There are other steps between you and that computer, you and that desktop, right? And so maybe on your way to go grab the computer, you stop at the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really need it. Maybe on the way to go grab that computer, you see the other packages that you hadn't opened yet. I don't need it. Create some space between... Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And you and these apps. I got a, I got a hack, and this, this really helped me. And this, I'm gonna save somebody some money right now. Y'all ready? Especially if you got an iPhone. Okay, pull out your phone. Hit the little settings button. Hit settings. I'm going to, I'm really going to change some lives right now. Okay, y'all there? At the top, you see where it says your name. It says Apple ID, iCloud, all that kind of stuff. You see it? Click that. Now go down to that subscriptions button. Click that. That shows you all of the descriptions that are automatically, okay? So first off, leave that morning meetup app alone, okay? That one, that one belongs there, okay? <laughs> but there's, there's a bunch of um, um, apps, subscriptions that you have right now that you can click on it and hit cancel subscription. How many of y'all see something that you can cancel right now? I promise I have like 20. There it is. Conduct a regular, and by regular, I would say at least monthly, conduct a monthly financial audit. Sit down with your freaking 
everywhere that you got money because your Apple Pay has one way that you spend money. Your Cash App has another way that you spend money. Then you got your bank account. You got these credit cards. You just got stuff coming from everywhere, right? Sit down and conduct a financial audit monthly. Go into your score. So what are we doing when we're uh, conducting a financial audit? We're checking our subscriptions on our phones, checking phone subscriptions, right? That's one thing that you're doing. Thanks, David, for that. That was really, really good. Um, Then I want you to go into your PayPal and check what automatic deductions. You're checking for automatic deductions. And I'm just going to give you a couple of ideas to jog your memory. You are looking at your PayPal. You are looking at your Zelle. Who do you have on auto Zelle payments? Um, Did I cancel that Zelle for your rent? I didn't know you was on Instagram. I just followed you. You posted that? Oh, I didn't know you was on Instagram. That's good. I'm sorry. You did, did I stop your automatic Zelle deposit to you for your rent? Okay. Um, you follow me back to. You weren't following Shans. I wasn't following her. But I didn't know. Shady. Her. Okay. So I want you to. You're checking your subscriptions that you're connected to on your phone. You are checking subscriptions that you're connected to on your laptop. You are checking things like automatic uh, payments that you have coming out of your Zelle. Automatic payments that you have maybe connected to your Apple Pay, uh, your PayPal, things like that. You are also looking for um, payments from all of your credit cards. Make a list of your credit cards. You already did that because David talked about organizing. So you know what credit cards you have. Do a monthly audit of your credit card statements. What auto payments do you have coming from there, right? Go through that mail that's been piled up on the counter for the last couple of weeks and make sure there's nothing that's auto billing right there. Check your debit card accounts, your banking accounts accounts and make sure there's nothing that's adding up there right that should cover the gist of it however you're spending money however you receive money I want you to audit all of those things now the second part is of the audit is taking a look at um, some of your larger purchases and figuring out if there's a way to lower your payment so do you you know is it right now are you paying for something let's say you're a part of a membership community let's say you're a part of a gym uh, membership and you're paying $150 right now for your gym membership but you notice that um, you're, you notice that they're giving memberships out right now for $99. Can you get take some time to get on the phone and say, hey, I notice you're giving a lesser rate right now. Can I get that lesser rate? Well, a lot of times they're going to tell you no, it's for new customers only, but there's no cancellation penalty associated to your account. So why not just cancel and re-sign up and get the lower rate? These are things that you can do that are ethical Financial practices that save you money. I think I'm getting killed in taxes, bro. Mm. We got to check. We got to check under the hood. Conservation easement. Because mm. I did one. Did you? Yeah. Okay. You like that? I like that. That's yes, a good sir. strategy. Mm-hmm. Most people don't understand conservatory easements and deferral. You want to explain it? Because, uh, you know, really, I'll be trying to explain it to me. I understand it, but I don't say it well. I'll be like, yo, what are you talking about? So, you want to explain it? Conservatory easement is a deferral, tax deferral strategy. When I think about conservatory easement, I also start to think about the 1031 exchange strategy, which is a strategy 
I'm leveraging pretty hard in my office right now. Part of the reason why we're leveraging the 1031 exchange strategy is because a lot of entrepreneurs have capital gains taxes that they're dealing with from owning assets. And we can 1031 exchange your property into another property and completely avoid the capital gains tax. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize this, that when you jump into rental real estate, we can create losses on the tax return that can offset your working income, your W-2 income, your 1099 income, your stock, your crypto, you name it, you can end up having positive income on your tax returns and buy rental real estate and leverage the losses to become 100% tax-free. Dang, you said a lot. You said a lot. It was something I was stuck (laughs) on, though. You said, crap, bro. The 1031 exchange. Forward. Yep. Before, uh, after that. And then the losses that you can offset. The losses. Okay. Real estate. How do you okay? Give me the 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 real estate strategy that allows me to pay less in taxes. Yeah. So when I talk about real estate strategies, I always start off with the history of what happened because if you want to really understand this, the most easiest way to understand it is why the government changed the things that they changed when it came to real estate. Why the government changed the things that they changed? Mm -hmm. What did they change? So previous to 1987. W-2 taxpayers who were doctors, lawyers, attorneys who were making over $250,000, which was considered a lot of income in 1987, the government did an audit consensus on these taxpayers and determined that a majority of taxpayers making over $250,000 are using real estate as a tax shelter to avoid taxes. Mm -hmm. Some of these uh, taxpayers were paying as low as 10% in federal income taxes, as low as 15% in federal income taxes. So what the government did was they created what's called the passive activity loss rules. They said passive- Whoa, 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 whoa. Passive activity loss rules. Yep. So they put some rules in place. And the reason why is because if you were a W-2 employee that worked a job and you were a a doctor or a surgeon, you're spending 40 hours a week in your job. Mm -hmm. But all you had to do is just take all this hard-earned money, put it into real estate, and naturally real estate gives you so many losses because of depreciation. So taxpayers were using the losses from real estate to avoid 100% of their W-2 income. And the government caught on to this. They said, this is a tax shelter and we want to avoid this from happening to be able to collect on more tax dollars. So they created the passive activity loss rules. It separated passive income from non-passive income. Now it requires real estate investors to actually spend more time managing their own investments, which is something that a doctor or an attorney or a lawyer doesn't have time to do. So it disqualified a lot of W-2 taxpayers from being able to use real estate to offset their W-2 income or 1099 income. So how, so I I still don't understand how the law makes them have to spend more time in their investment though. Okay, so the law requires that you have to spend 750 hours managing your rental property in the year. And you have to show that you're spending at least half of your time in real estate more than any other thing which is too hard for many taxpayers to do mm. unless you're a real estate agent, a real estate broker. How do you show that? Yeah, exactly. How do you show that? You have to have a real estate professional log booklet, which is something you can download offline and log your time. What? Now, let's just say you don't have the time to show the government that you're spending more time in real estate than your, your Amazon business or your day trading or any other profession that you might have. You can run a short-term rental business as long as you're renting out a property short-term like an Airbnb Mm -hmm. for an average period of seven days or less, you can have a property that you can claim rental losses on. 
And I have a lot of W-2 and 1099 taxpayers who are now buying Airbnb properties and leveraging this strategy as a loophole around the passive activity loss rules that were created in 1987. So if I have an Airbnb and I... And I rent it out seven days or less? Yep. So it has to be rented out on an average period of seven days or less per customer, per customer. And you have to rent out it more than 14 days in the year. So as long as you rent out the property for 15 days or more with an average customer in there for seven days or less, you can claim the property as a rental property. So one day is, a, one day is less. Than seven on average. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you have to have a minimum of more than 14 days, because if you have 14 days or less, technically the government doesn't allow for you to claim the rental income. So even if your business rents out your house for 14 days, you can charge yourself rent and not claim the rental income and claim it as a tax deduction on your business. Okay. That's okay. the Augusta rule. Okay. Okay. The Augusta rule. Mm-hmm. Golly, hold on. I'm, yeah. I'm not ready for that one yet. <laughs> the, the passive income... Passive activity loss rules. The passive activity loss rules. Yes. So, just for understanding. Yes. They're saying you have to, I can't just, I can't just buy a house and then. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corian's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corian.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corian.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That mitigate my income, nope. my, 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 my taxes. Only way it will is if you're making less than $150,000 adjusted gross income. And even if you are, the government only limits you to $25,000 in losses. So if you're somebody that's making $500 million a year and you buy a million dollar property, I can't write off a million dollars on your tax return to offset your million dollars in business income. Mm-hmm. I could though, if you were leveraging a short-term rental property or if you qualified as a real estate professional, someone who spends 750 hours and half of their time in their real property trader business. Okay. Okay. And I got I to walk it because I'm slow with this, right? Yeah. We'll take it I as slow some, as we I need, need to. I need some numbers to, to work off of. So let's say, for instance, I make a million dollars. Okay. And I buy a property okay. for $250,000. Okay. I didn't pay the whole two hundred fifty thousand. I might have put down twenty percent leverage. Is, yeah, fifty thousand. Okay. So I put down fifty thousand. Let's say at this point my mortgage is let's just say two thousand dollars a month. Okay. I made a million dollars in income. Yep. 
I'm talking about after like all my business expenses mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur. I made I I brought in a million dollars. Yes, which means I probably made a bunch more. Whatever. I brought in a million. I have this property. Yes. For two hundred fifty thousand, I put down fifty thousand, and I'm paying two thousand a month. Mm-hmm. How much of this property am I able to offset my having to pay? Let's say that I my taxes are fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's probably where million, they'd be if you had a million net income. Brother, I know. This is ridic- <laughs> ridiculous. It'd be high like that. So I made a million. Meaning yes. I got to pay the government five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. This two hundred fifty thousand dollars property. How does it help you? How does it help me? Okay, so you can do this in one or two different ways. You can leverage the short-term rental strategy, mm-hmm. or you can leverage being a real estate professional. Let's just say you don't have time to be, to spend 750 hours managing that property, and let's just say you can't show the government that you spent half of your time managing rentals than your actual day job, right? And then it real quick, can I can I hire somebody and that count as it? Nope, it cannot. Now you've delegated your your what's called your material participation in your real property. You good at this stuff? That's yeah, really good at this stuff. <laughs> all right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. So yeah, I would disqualify you, and this is why the government got on to all this stuff, right? Because those W two employees would just have people property managing, mm-hmm. and then they oh, would shit. leverage all the rental losses, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just say that you bought this property that's two hundred fifty thousand, and you have a million dollars net income. You're thinking maybe I'll be able to leverage that two hundred fifty thousand dollars of building on my tax returns. The question is, is you bought two different things when you bought that rental property. You bought the land and you bought the building that the property actually sits on, right? Mm -hmm. Both of them have value. Only one of them the government allows for me to write off. So let's just say of that 250,000, 50,000 was dedicated to the land. The other 200,000 is dedicated to the building. Mm -hmm. I can write off the 200,000 because this can be depreciated. The government recognizes the building going up and down in value. The reason why is because when you purchase the building and you decided to put it into business purpose by renting it out, it's sitting outside in the rain, the sleet, the snow, right? So the building structure can go down in value, just like your car Mm -hmm. goes down in value and the government gives you a write-off for it. So this 200,000, I can take this write-off over the course of time, or I can choose to write this all off in one year with a cost segregation study, which is called, uh, which is accelerated depreciation, plus leveraging what's called bonus depreciation, which you see a lot of people writing off G-Wagons and vehicles that weigh over 6,000 pounds. I'm essentially choosing to write off your entire building in one year. The government will allow me to do so only on what's called personal property. So everything that makes up your property except the structure, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'll be able to accelerate that. So maybe I get 180,000. Oh, I'm sorry, say it again, say it again, I'm sorry. So everything except the building structure. So when a house is being built, mm-hmm. you see the wood and everything, that's the structure. But inside the house, you have the flooring, the lights, the nuts, mm-hmm. the bolts, the screws, the right. HVAC, the driveway, the, um, the roof. I can write off all of those components. And let's just say that is $180,000 of components, personal property. I can take that on your tax return to offset your $1 million. Now you're thinking, okay, Carlton was only able to offset $180,000. What if I would have bought three or four more properties and he did the exact same strategy? Mm. And so I have clients, literally have clients who come to me, Carlton, I'm set to make 1.2. I'm set to make 1.4. And I'm asking them, how much time do we have to be able to buy real estate? And they let me know. And then we go shopping. Because the goal is for me to create enough depreciation on the tax returns, accelerate that to offset whatever their income is. 
So if you're somebody that's working a W-2 job and Apple decided to give you a bunch of stock options and you're going from a year in which you made 400,000 to now a million dollars, you might want to protect that million dollars now instead of having all that go to Uncle Sam. That's about half a million dollars going to Uncle Mm -hmm. Sam. So rather than just putting money to charity and giving money away, you decide to buy an asset. You're now becoming a partner with the government when you decide to rent it back out. You created a business and the government gives you depreciation. You call me, Carlton, what do I do with the rental? I tell you, we can leverage the short-term rental strategy or we can become real estate professionals. Mm -hmm. And we do the exact same strategy. I create these losses on your tax return from something you bought that's already paying you to offset your working income. In that scenario, because like everything I put into it came up to $180,000. Yeah. I can take $180,000 off the $500,000 off the, yep. that I owe. So I have to pay them. I can take that off of that amount. Off of your uh, taxable income. So if your taxable income is $1 million and your taxes are half a million, that's a deduction from your taxable income, not a tax credit. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. So your, your goal maybe essentially is to show that the person actually received the lowest amount of money possible, even though the rest of the money went into investments, real estate, and all kinds of stuff like that. That is correct. My goal is to show on paper that you're making nothing. Yes. Even though you're you're cash flow positive on the rental side, even though you're cash flow positive in your business, I want the government to know you're making absolutely nothing. But... Does that then that give us an issue if we're trying to go buy stuff? That is a really great question. I so the question the, the you do the beautiful part about <laughs> the beautiful part about rental real estate um, is that depreciation is a soft add back to income to qualify you for a loan. Oh, so oh, let me repeat that. Yes. So depreciation is a soft add back to income to qualify you for a loan. So let me give you an example. If I just did accelerated depreciation over the last two years on my tax returns to completely avoid taxes, leveraging all this stuff that Carlton's talking about, right? Well, now I'm in a position where maybe I want to go buy another property. So I'm going to have to show my tax returns where I had all these losses on the return. And maybe my lender is not going to want to give me a loan, except the losses were generated from my rental real estate business. And they're generated from depreciation. Depreciation isn't something that I had to pay for. It was already given to mm-hmm. me when I bought the property. I just yep. chose to accelerate. Sure. So they have to add depreciation back to income to qualify me for a loan. But you don't have to pay taxes on that income that they added. Back. And that's why it's, on, it's, called a, it's, it's called a phantom expense. That's why depreciation is called a phantom expense. Oh my goodness. The fact that you just connected the dot on that is absolutely crazy. This is all. Yeah. That is it. It's called a phantom expense. When I learned that term, I'm like, is this real? I was like, I kept like, yeah. It's a right. phantom it me, expense. It's going to be 40 questions because, to get listen, it, but I got it. You put the down payment on the property. Yes. You were writing off the whole building. Yes. OPM, leverage. 